Welcome back to Balagan. I'm Kobe Cohen. For almost a decade, the state of Israel was branded as the startup nation with the highest ratio of tech companies per capita. But in order to maintain the achievement, Israel needs to make sure that it is minimizing the gaps in education, mainly around math and English. Our guest today stands in the front of the effort to narrow the gaps and make sure Israel's future generation will excel in English. What are the gaps? What are the barriers? And what is the government doing in order to ensure the next generation's education? For that, we have Alon Futterman with us. With a track of proven record of social entrepreneurships in the field of education, government, and non-for-profit organizations, Mr. Alon Futterman is the CEO of Talma, the Israel Project for Excellence in English. And we are excited to have you here, Alon. Excited to be here. Welcome to Balagan, and let's start with a short introduction. Who are you and what is Talma all about? So as you mentioned, my name is Alon Futterman. I am the director and CEO of Talma. I'm a father of two, married to Meital, born in New York, but I've lived in Israel for most of my life. And I've had the privilege of founding Talma about seven years ago. Uh, and if it's okay, I'll tell you a bit about our organization and our day-to-day work. Cool. So we started off as a summer program. The Israeli government had announced in the year of 2014, there's a lack of about 650 certified English teachers in the country. It's important to remember that in Israel, we only have public education. We have our version of charter schools, but no private education per se in Israel. So when we say that there's a lack of certified teachers, it means that even though the state is obligated to provide high quality education and endless opportunities for learning, regardless of children's financial backgrounds, there are still classes where an English teacher is missing. And that was in the year 2014. The estimate is that the next report that's supposed to come out in a year or so will indicate that that number is at least doubled, if not tripled. We know that there are more people in the world from year to year. The same goes for the Israeli educational system. We have more students in the system every year. And unfortunately, we don't have enough teachers. So we started off with two very prestigious family foundations in North America, the Steiner Foundation and the Schusterman Foundation that partnered together with the Israeli government and two municipalities, two towns in Israel that said we want to do something about the situation in English. And we created a summer school. If the Israeli school calendar begins on September 1st and ends on June 30th, then we basically created the 11th month of public education. Kids in those two towns would continue to go to school during the month of July. And instead of having four weekly English lessons, As they do during the school year, during this program, they had five hours of English every day. Every classroom was led by a non-Israeli teacher that flew in for the summer that co-taught together with a local teacher from the school. So even if these teachers are, don't necessarily speak Hebrew, they were still able to lead the classes. We work with the proficiency model. So even if they're not ESL teachers per se, The importance of what we're trying to achieve is a situation where the kids are listening to a native speaker. They have a creative, certified, wonderful teacher that we are in need of 
Uh, not because there's, I have anything against local teachers. Don't get me wrong. I'm married to one and I'm a son of a teacher myself, <laughs> but we don't have enough teachers. And we need those kinds of teachers that can create those kinds of opportunities for kids and specifically in areas that we define as underserved communities. So in 2014, we started off with this pilot summer program in two towns. Thankfully, nowadays we're operating in over 40 towns from the northern part of the Golan Heights and all the way down south to Eight Lots. After about three years or so, we launched an additional program, a full year program, where teachers who go on our summer program uh, look for opportunities to stay in Israel for more than the summer vacation. And we have been launching ever since communities that include young professionals that move together to underserved communities in the country, to the Israeli periphery. 50% of the teachers are Israeli teachers and other subjects that and we are missing certified professionals in history teachers, arts teachers, gymnastics teachers, whatever it is. And the other 50% are the teachers I mentioned before that come for a summer program and stay on for the full year program. So that is expanding as well, thankfully. And even if 60% of those teachers who are interested in staying in Israel permanently, or as we call it, make Aliyah. And uh, once we had a big cohort that was present on the Israeli turf, and not just the prestigious alumni that we have in North America and other parts of the world, we were able to broaden our day-to-day work into additional aspects and not just inside the Israeli educational system. So you can find Talma partnering today with the Ministry of Economy, working with employers that are trying to give on-the-job training in English to their employees that have come from underserved backgrounds. Okay. You can find Talma running English programs for women coming uh, from uh, uh, battle women coming from shelters, trying to break out of the circles of violence uh, and, and create a life, a life for themselves, uh, wanting to integrate in the Israeli workforce and specifically in the world of tourism. Uh, we have programs that we're doing together with the Ministry of Defense for the Bedouin sector. I mean, it's really endless. So I, I think to make a long story short, and to help our listeners understand what is the journey that we are offering teachers from all over the world, that we talk about the spiral. The heart of the spiral is the shortest program we can offer a teacher. Come to Israel for a month. All expenses are covered. Help us teach English five hours a day with other amazing teachers from you know, around the world. And then the bigger circle would be stay for a year. And the broader circles would be help us you know, to lead change within other places of need besides the educational system in Israel. I think that at least for New Yorkers, once they hit the Israeli food and the local uh, climate, I think it's going to be easier for them to stay for the whole year. (laughs) 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 But I want to ask you about the students themselves. You said that you started with a pilot of two cities. Were they in the periphery or in the center of the state? And I wanted to ask you, you know, if you can broaden on that, how do you choose where to work? I mean, with what municipalities to work? So, good question. In Israel, the National Statistics Bureau has a ranking of each town, each town, city, or regional council, as we like to call it, a ranking of one to 10, 10 being the strongest, one being the weakest, reflecting the social and economic status of the people in that town. Challenges that are usually related to finance and uh, geographic locations. So we usually work with municipalities that are ranked five and below. They are at the top of our radars. 
And we have a deputy director in Israel that is basically in charge and oversees the work with those municipalities. And he is an amazing guy. His name is Shai Chirpano. And he basically sits down with mayors and directors of education departments trying to figure out what kind of budget we can come up with together if we know of potential donors or Jewish federations around the world that are interested in specifically donating to a partnership like this that could be beneficial to all sides, uh, government grants that we can help them get so they can have you know, the biggest budget possible. Once we kind of define the budget and understand what kind of a budget we can have for a summer program or a full year program, we basically know how many classes we're able to open. After we know how many classes we're able to open, we then turn to the director of the education department in the town and say to her or him, help us choose the X amount of classes that have the biggest need. Okay? In some towns, we're talking about tens if not hundreds of classes. In other towns that are smaller, which you can find in the geographic periphery, it could be four classes, but that could also be 100% of the classes you know, at, at the age group that we are targeted to work with. So it really changes from one place to another. It, it's tailor-made, and we do our best to help each municipality that is serious and is willing to commit to this project to make sure that the sky is the limit for them. And what is the age group of the students? I mean, because you were mentioning Bedouin women, which usually it's a bit older. We're talking about early 20s or more, but most of the students are kids, right? It's Correct. So in Israel, students usually start to learn English around third or fourth grade. It does change from one place to another based on the availability of teachers. So if you are in an area where the lack isn't that big, you can find specific and unique initiatives that would allow children to start being exposed to English at an earlier stage. We, however, work with age groups usually around eight, nine years old to begin with and all the way down to people who are integrating into the high-tech force. But our condition is that they've studied English for at least one year for the first time. We're not teaching them English for the first time. They've had at least one year of experience before entering an accelerator like the Thomas Summer Program. So they need to have some sort of a base in order to join your program. Correct. Awesome. It's really cool. And I wanted to ask you about the populations you work with. You know, we're mentioning the Bedouin women, we're mentioning kids, but we know that there are big gaps between different types of societies in Israel. For example, the ultra-Orthodox community that is more segregated, also the Arab communities in the North, that you can see that there are changes in higher rates of education in this field. But can you elaborate about that a little bit? Sure. I think I'll start from the end by saying that we are proudly leading English learning programs of what we call TATI, which are ultra-Orthodox yeshivot schools in Israel in three different towns. Uh, this is thanks to the Jerry Schwartz and Heather Reese Foundation in, in uh, Canada. And we are basically training teachers from their communities to teach English within the classes. Now, when I say this, I'm actually saying to you, in other words, that we're breaking a glass ceiling because these are all places that were not teaching English in the past. Okay? There was a philosophy that is still implemented in a vast majority of ultra-Orthodox schools, that school is a place where you study mostly Jewish law of all different kinds. You study Torah, you study Mishnah, 
Talmud, Jewish philosophy, but not necessarily core subjects. And if you zoom in on the history of the educational system here, you can learn that the parties of the ultra-Orthodox in the Israeli parliament had actually managed to pass bills and laws that support that kind of walk of life. So what we are doing is working together with the communities to introduce English, to have their own teachers trained in order to teach English, understanding two things. One is that someone who is external, like myself or someone from my team, could not be the teacher inside the classroom of ultra-Orthodox children. You work with the adults, but not the ultra-Orthodox children. The second thing is that they have to understand that I have no hidden motives. I'm not coming with a secular agenda. I am not coming to them because I want them to stop being ultra-Orthodox. To each their own, okay? Different strokes for different folks. I'm not ultra-Orthodox myself, (laughs) but I have nothing against ultra-Orthodox people just because they're ultra-Orthodox. But I would like to make sure, regardless of the way they practice Judaism and live their lives, that they have as many opportunities as possible to provide for their families in the future. And as someone who you know, is, is old enough to have that kind of perspective and opportunities to interact with you know, the global market, I understand that without English today, you're going to have a huge challenge. The global market doesn't care how you practice your religion, if at all. Right. The global market is very clear about what you need to do if you want to compete. I think that kind of brings us back to a very philosophical understanding of what the, the goals and purposes of educational systems around the world is or are to begin with. I claim that every school and every school system is supposed to achieve two things, two goals. One is to prepare children for life in their own country. And two is to prepare them to compete in the global market. Now, what does it mean in Israel to prepare for life in your own country? Well, that's a very political question to ask. And every minister of education here is going to have her or his answer to that question. So, for instance, when Professor Yuli Tamir was the Minister of Education, and I had the privilege of being her senior advisor, and she believed that every child in Israel needed to know what Nakba is. And not because she thought that the independence of Israel is a disaster, don't get me wrong, but her belief was that every child should know what the other side thinks of you. When Gidon Sa'al was the Minister of Education, he said that every child in Israel, completing the Israeli educational system, they has to have a visit at Hebron and go to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's tombs. And now, again, there's no right and wrong here. These are political views. However, and with said all that, when it comes to um, competing in the global market, there are no contradictions. There's no argument. It's clear what you need. You need to have control of your own language. You need English, you need math, you need science. That kind of leads us into the whole international discourse that the OECD is leading about competitive and comparative uh, exams and testings. You can be in favor of it or against it, but that is what is being compared between different countries. And it's clear that if Israel only has public education, Israel has to be as creative as possible, creating opportunities for students to advance. So you're mentioning, you know, two different uh, ministers of education. And I do want to ask you, I mean, in overall, 
we're talking about resources and we're talking about investments in the next generation. So of course we need good teachers to educate those uh, kids. And it sounds that you brought up a solution to a problem that the system has. But do you think that, you know, in overall, when you look at the system and you're trying, you said, to give tools to educators in Israel, do you think that Israel will be able to lower the gaps in the um, level of English proficiency for students eventually in the long run? I want to believe so. You, know, you can't live in this country and not be an optimist. That's part of the equation. So if I need to answer your question directly, I'm going to say yes, they're going to figure it out. Okay? It's going to happen somehow. But I think in order for that to happen, that there's no accurate game plan that if you follow to a team, you will be at the place where you want to be at. I think it's all about the movement. It's all about creating programs. It's all about creativity. It's understanding that if a picture is worth a thousand words, an experience is worth a thousand pictures. And we need to ask ourselves, how many experiences are we creating for our students? What are we doing here? So regardless of the child's financial background, the sector that they are affiliated with, or their geographic location in the country, what can we do for that kid? So he or she will be able to achieve as much as possible once they graduate the Israeli education system. So I, I don't know if there's one policy that could be right for all. I do know that And this is, again, my personal belief, the government has to create as many opportunities as possible for the administrators to bring the projects and launch the projects they want on their turf. If we believe in the people on the ground, if you believe in school principals, if we believe in the Israeli teachers, we need to allow them and give them everything they need in order to succeed. And if you're teaching at a school in a neighborhood or a town in Israel, That is hours away from Tel Aviv and you don't necessarily have English teachers in the area, you need to be able to think about something you can do about it, as opposed to just saying, you know, there's a problem. So the summer program that you're running, how does it work, you know, on the ground? You said that it's five hours a day. Do those kids continue going to school for five days a week or it's being facilitated in um, some sort of, uh, I would say, boarding school or... Can you tell us a little bit about this experience? Sure. So I mentioned my, our deputy director in Israel before, and then now I'd like to kind of put a spotlight on our deputy director in North America, Teila Bendan, who oversees all of our recruitment efforts for all of Talma programs. Teila is an amazing professional. She is a teacher who has been on Talma programs herself. So she's a graduate of Talma programs and a prestigious member of our prestigious alumni. But at the same time, she's now at a leadership position and overseeing everything that we are doing when it comes to uh, efforts in order to recruit teachers for our programs. So we are turning to teachers who have been to Israel before. We do have a waiting list for teachers that haven't been to Israel before. And we're looking for those that have been just so they don't come with an expectation to be tourists. They're coming on a service. They're coming because they want to be part of something bigger. They're coming because they're looking for... Uh, uh, travel opportunities and community opportunities and interacting with people that are uh, that they have a lot in common with. And regardless of the differences between them, I think what they have in common the most is the commitment to a set of values, which all comes down to creating opportunities, regardless of the children's financial background. It's creating as many opportunities as possible, again, regardless of the challenge on the ground here. So we are recruiting teachers who are affiliated with networks, who are not affiliated with networks, 
We have a lot of Teach for America teachers. We have a lot of Hebrew public teachers. We have a lot of teachers that have been on other programs that are, are less known, but they're really outstanding. We have about, I think, eight to 10 people, candidates for every vacancy, which is an amazing ratio, by the way, which reflects the, the great work that our team is doing on the ground. And once they come here, once they get accepted to the Talma Summer Program, we start uh, offering trainings online while they're still at home, and then more intense trainings once they come to Israel. These teachers would land in Israel during the end of June. They'd stay here for four weeks. Obviously, we take care of accommodation and everything, like all expenses for them are covered. And they would be going as locals to a school every day. They'd be meeting Israeli peers, Israeli co-teachers they could teach with. And the children in the classroom were actually the same children that sit inside the same classroom every day for the entire school year. Okay, so if my name is Danny and I'm a fifth grader and I go to class at the school in my neighborhood between September 1st and June 30th, I'm doing that on July 1st as well. But on July 1st, instead of going through the same experience that I usually have, I'm actually going through an English program. I'm actually meeting a teacher who's not from my country. Now, I talk about this very passionately, but we tend to say in Talmud that during the summer program, everyone cries twice. Okay? It's the first day when you <laughs> enter the class and like, what's happening here? Why is the teacher talking in a language that I can't really follow? He or she don't know Hebrew. I don't really know English. What's happening here? But then thankfully, again, they cry at the end of the program when it's over. Okay? And the journey that they go through together is really inspiring. At the first part of the day, they are going through traditional learning. The second part of the day, it's a lot of PBL, project-based learning. And these kids don't have the experience or the opportunity to, to learn English this way, especially if it's an area that is lagging teachers all year long. If I may add one more anecdote, which I think is kind of like capturing the essence of Talma, when you bring a teacher from a different country into the classroom and it doesn't necessarily speak the language, and you have kids inside the classroom that don't speak the language of the teacher, everyone's a student, yeah. okay? And yeah. something special happens when the teacher says to the students, you're gonna help me, I'm gonna help you. We have five hours a day, every day. It's going to be different, but it's going to be special. Uh, we are under the assessment of the Rama organization, the Israeli National Assessment Organization that oversees educational programs and processes inside schools. And uh, we are after uh, two assessment reports that have been conducted over the course of a few months. So we were able to see classes, situations, and statuses before the summer program, during the summer program, post the summer program, and even six months down the road. I'm happy to say that this is not just a feel-good program. This is a program that is really allowing children to raise the level of confidence when speaking English, which I think is, you know, one of the things that's most yeah. important when practicing or learning a new language. You need to have courage to speak it. It's not enough to know it. And so you're literally throwing everybody into the pool. True. I would say that it's some sort of a full immersion program because. It doesn't let anybody hide and they have to confront the language barriers. Absolutely. But I must share, by the way, from experience, I saw it in Middlebury, if you heard about the Middlebury College. We work with Middlebury College in Vermont very closely. Same philosophy. So, 
I heard the experience of what's going on in their cafeterias in the first couple of days, and I, I couldn't stop laughing, but I understood the experience. So I assume that it's the same thing to see it in Israel. And I'm sure that it's really exciting to see the students at the end of the journey. How many graduates you already have? I mean, how many students already went through Palma, and what was the impact? Wow. So asking me how many students went through Talma is, is a good question because it allows me to give you a headline. We're talking about, you know, tens of hundreds of thousands by now. When we started off in 2014 with about 40 classes, but now we have 40 municipalities. And in each classroom, there's usually an average of, let's say, 28 to 30 kids. Okay, so that's a lot of classes and a lot of kids just in the summer program. If you take a look at our full year program, Now, the teachers that come on board are teaching at least five to six different classes, and, and that's what their school schedule, their weekly schedule is made out of. So again, if they have about 30 classes, 30 kids in a class per se, and they, they teach you know, six classes, it's about 180 students that they can reach just during the school hours. A lot of them are also involved with the after-school initiatives, specifically for youth at risk, the changes from one location to the other. So I mean, it's really endless. Now, at this point, we're counting the teachers that are members of our alumni, understanding that each and every one of them you know, is touching and reaching as many students as possible. I think it's also part of the Talma philosophy. There are a lot of organizations that kind of put the students in the center, but we really do put the teachers in the center. We have the basic understanding that in order for a teacher to be a good teacher, that teacher has to be happy when they wake up in the morning and feel like they're part of something bigger. And that feeling has to last. It can't just be at the beginning of their career. It has to be also five and 10 and 15 years down. That's amazing. As I always like to say, I like to finish with an optimistic message. So eventually you are saying to us, I want you, some of our, of our audience, hit it. Give us a spiel about, you know, why should American teachers come to Israel and work uh, with Talma and uh, excelling students in English? So first of all, thank you for the opportunity to reach out. And I am going to ask all of your listeners, if you are teachers or if you know of teachers, educators of any kind, please refer them to our website, www.talmaisrael.com. Okay, talmaisrael.com. We are looking for the best and the brightest. We are looking for the most creative. We are looking for the people who have added values We're not just you know, up for the challenge, but would also enjoy the entire experience of looking right and left and seeing more people like them that wake up in the morning and are eager to change the world and are happy to get on an airplane and be as adventurous as possible. We know good people and our community is going and growing and we would like to know the people that we don't know yet. So if you are able to join us or if you know of people that are able to join us, please make the connection We are happy to reach out to people or have them reach out to us. We have various programs as I've had the opportunity to share. And since we are going and growing, we're always in need of new family members, air quote family members, and we're actually members of our organization and, and can help us continue the good work. So thank you for having me here today. And, and thank you for allowing me to reach out to all of your listeners and invite them to the world of Tom. I want to thank you, Alon, for your time and to wish you best of luck. I really think that it's an amazing opportunity for Americans who want to experience Israel in a really different way. 
I think that there is no better way to experience a place than to know the people. And actually, they're getting the benefit of also interacting with Israelis, not through the lens of the media. Absolutely. Of course, I will share the link to the website in the episode description. And I really want to wish you good luck. And thank you very much for uh, sharing uh, the story with us. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan, www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day.